what's new with you today? Um, been busy with GTC. It's been GTC, the NVIDIA um, machine learning conference. Um, oh, wow. Um, uh, tell me more about it. I haven't, heard, um, I haven't heard of it. So enlighten me. So um, I've learned about this thing called, there's a, an, a program called Blazing SQL. And you can do SQL queries from CSV files and, and Parquet files. You don't actually have to load them into a database. Um, and say that say that one more time. What, what are you doing with the CSVs? It's it called it the conference or the Blazing SQL. Um, uh, this Blazing SQL that you're talking about. Blazing SQL is um, it's um, it's supposed to be like an accelerated uh, version of SQL. It can it can take advantage of your GPU, uh, but it'll also allow you to do SQL queries directly from CSV files. Ooh. there are a couple data points in particular that I am looking for. Um, and I was wondering if you may be able to help me get those out of those Washington State ones, because that blazing SQL sounds like it's the right thing. The, the two data points I'm looking for are total waste, or <laughs> I'll write this down too. <laughs> but sorry to put to start writing you a laundry list, but essentially total waste by licensee, by day. And there may be a couple different waste types, but essentially, so it would be nice to have the, the total for each type, but essentially just the daily totals. Um, because what would be nice would it be, a, oh, here's someone, Josh. I think. Welcome, Josh. We're, we're just beginning to talk about some high in demand data points, but it's uh, glad to have you join the group. Yeah. Sorry, my speaker's on the wrong machine. That's interesting. Well, I guess we'll dive back into this data points in one second, Charles. Um, I've still got them on my mind. Um, but I guess just welcome to the group, Josh. At the moment, we're just talking about Charles has discovered this tool, Blazing SQL, to just to basically help parse some of this Washington State cannabis data that we're working on. Um, just this big data dump and some of the files are actually so large, it's tough to manage. Oh, interesting. So that's... Huh. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of experiments with Dask also, trying to get to work with these files and stuff and um, trying to configure it. Um, with a lot of I've heard of Dask before. I'm sorry. Essentially, that one. 
Charles, you've got this big data set there of the date of, not even daily, of just every observation there is. And so, you know, as the cultivators go about their daily business, they're recording their waste. And so I think you said you discovered that in harvest batches, they were just creating waste from their harvests, essentially. Right, that's right. Waste is replaced. So, if there's any way to essentially, you may know more about this than I do, some sort of aggregation query where you're set, summing up, you know, the waste by day and by licensee. If you could get that time series. That's actually what the the company I was talking about, Better Carbon Solutions, is looking for. So they're trying to they're trying to break into like essentially the cannabis waste here in Washington. There's other in other states like California, Colorado, and even Oklahoma. Um, recently, cannabis waste is actually um, a big. We're not big, uh, but it's a small, you know, it's a, you know, it's a concern and there's a, a dozen or so companies dealing with it. Um, so, you know, as they launch out, they're just going to need essentially a forecast of, okay, well, how much waste is even being produced? That way you can just sort of get a gauge on what you can do with it. And that's where the, the cannabis data science group can help out because um, one of the tools in my toolbox is forecasting. So give me a good time series and we can forecast it. So we've discovered this, you know, Washington State cannabis data dump um, through, you know, public records. And so now we're going to try to aggregate the, the waste by day. Um, can you say that one more time? I started working on the weight problem early on, and then I kind of I got sidetracked. And then it doesn't have to be that one. Um, like I said, really any totals by day by licensee. Um, The other total that I was interested in, it was it doesn't necessarily have to be by licensee. Was um, I was essentially just wanting like a daily count of like lab tests, just to know how many lab tests are happening per day, and then once again forecast that into the future. But so I, yeah, you know, I need to publish that. What I found is that. Um, They don't, they don't record the lab test, like when they do them. It's uh, sort of like, I think maybe some places maybe do it every day, like some places do it once a month or something. It's not, because yeah, I, I do some things and work with them. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That was, that, that, that actually reminded me, that wasn't actually the data point. 
the data point um, we were looking for was a sales um, per lab result. Uh, okay. I think the sales are, are updated more regularly. Yes, yeah, so, 502 data. And so if you could do like the this SQL on like the sales, so basically just do sales for global lab result X, and then a, I think it can be done because I think I've seen the data, but it's, uh, so the reason that data point is interesting is that gives you sort of, if you average, if you take the average of the sales per lab result, then that's basically the implied cost of a failed test. Because if you otherwise wouldn't have failed, then you would have on average, you know, grossed that amount in the market. Okay. Um, and so the so it's it's a crude measure, but but basically, you know, in economics you try to measure all the costs, explicit and implicit. So we're trying to measure all the costs for cultivators, and one of their costs is the risk of failure. And the way you measure that cost is actually by their probability of failure. So that would just be the failure rate, you know, whatever percentage that may be, times the the cost, which is going to be the average sales per fibers. So long story short is you can estimate the, the cost of failure. Um, and I don't think anybody's estimated that. And I think they maybe estimated that. Actually, somebody's estimated that cost in California, but nobody's estimated that cost in Washington. Um, and Washington has um, actually a lot less stringent regulations than California. So it'd just be interesting to compare the the costs here in California to. I mean, here in Washington to California. Okay. That, that is related. I've been putting together a data set. I was going to do that. THC, like over time, how it was rising and how that related to sales. Because I've been told that, you know, that's like the driving thing. What's a driving thing? The percentage of THC. Like, that's, that's like a big selling point. And, Going up, and I'm wondering, you know, is that like driving sales up? Um, so, just from the grapevine, I think you know some people are curious about that question, and so it's actually an easy research question to answer. Uh, I mean, you could do it more formally, but the real informal, quick, quick way you do it is you would just take a regression of sales on well I think that's where you would do uh, the sales per lab result um, so, so you would look at so your your independent variable or your dependent variable y would be the 
sales per lab result. And then your independent variables, your regressors, would be the, you know, the, the THC percentage of that lab result. And so then you could actually just do a, an ordinary least squares regression and you would just see, okay, what's the coefficient on THC? Uh, you know, you'd, your hypothesis would be that it would be a positive coefficient. Um, and the, the question is, what would be the magnitude? Uh, is the magnitude even significant? Uh, and then, like I said, you could then do the, like, uh, you could do fancier things, like you could like take the log of both sides. I mean, that would almost be a given. That you would take the log of both sides, see what um, you know. Uh, and, you know, you could do fancier regressions, but often just the ordinary least squares is pretty informative. Um, it's a good place to begin. Uh, that's my recommendation. Um, so, okay. if you scrape that data together, I could show you how to run the regression. But essentially, like I said, the two data points you need are sales per lab result. And then you would actually need the actual, you know, THC of that lab result. Right. So yeah, it's just kind of linking the data. There's, you know, the lab results linked to the inventory, which links to the sales. And so that's like the, the inventory and the, and the sales are huge data sets. And it's trying to get it all in, you know, into memory or at least swapped out to disk and, and getting that all to join together has been a challenge. Yeah. So, I was kind of wondering if you could split up the data sets that, in a way that wouldn't hurt the performance of any predictive model. Like, maybe yearly would be doable, since I think if you have years of data, since I think the year doesn't affect sales necessarily well, but the month and day typically does i think the problem is i could be wrong but i think there's almost like unzipped it could be like a hundred by gigabytes of sales data a month and that could be wrong but uh, am i wrong levels, or was it like about that long um, yeah, it is around a hundred and hundred. Yeah, it's over a hundred gigabytes of data. Huh? Could you? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's total or a month, but I don't even know how you run analytics on that on like anything other than like a server, unless you can make summaries of the data over time. Well, that's my whole going down the Dask rabbit hole. You know, it's um. Hmm. That's supposed to solve that problem, but and it probably does once you get Dask configured right. Um, and uh, and I also found that Dask runs differently. Dask and Pandas runs differently on my Mac than it does on my Linux box. Um, so I sort of um, I've been discovering things by running experiments on each machine. Uh, well. 
works, you've, I guess. I've never used Dask. So. You've got the right idea, though, Josh. Is essentially, we're just trying to get like a time series of data, like summary data, metadata, out of this. Um, and just leave the bulk of it there. Um, we're just looking for daily totals. Yeah. Huh. But that's just sort of a, an ongoing project. But we're, um, you know, like Charles has said, that's sort of the question on everybody's mind is how much does you know, THC affect sales. So like what, how much is a, like a 1% increase in THC? Like what would that actually, like would that, ch how much in dollars would that change at the retailer? Uh, Even if you did, if you had 0.1% differences in THC values and what we're able to get the status data for those specific ones, then he could also do like a whole, like 1,000 values of different percentages of THC at most every day and probably have a small amount of data compared to, was it 100 gigabytes per month? So that's also a pretty good measurement that you could do. I kind of lost internet connection. I'm back. I uh, lost connection. Lucky. Okay, Josh, could you please repeat your last your last sure. thought? So I was thinking, even if you had 0.1% scale of the amount of THC in marijuana, then you and you had sale data with respect to that, with respect to each of those products, you could at most have 1,000 bins for each of those sales and then have that for every single day and it would still be very small compared to the 100 gigabytes per month. And that would be 1,000 points at most. I doubt, I don't think you can have marijuana with 100% THC, that would be ridiculous. I think, correct, is sort of the point you're going on at, um, you, are you just like looking for like observations that span like the spectrum of possibilities or? Uh, I think if you were saying THC is important for sale data, then that would be an important observation to get analytics out of. And if it's also time-based, then that those two could be correlated as well, depending on the month. Like Seattle, you have seasonal affective disorders, so that you may have different audiences. Ooh, you actually just hit on a good point. So that would actually, um, you're actually talking about panel data. So what you have is, observation Y of IT. So, so you'd have sales of lab result I, you know, at time T. 
so and that's how you could you know improve the model is so essentially you would just um the 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 easy way to do it is just toss in a uh, like a time effect um so just like is like a counter zero to n or zero to t for however many periods you have um toss that in the regression and you would control for time there's maybe more elegant ways to do it but um I think time is a good factor because that's actually um, something that I was looking at recently was essentially uh, prices in Oregon. Uh, Oregon makes their retail and wholesale prices available. And so you see, you actually see prices, you know, go way, you know, dip way down over time. And actually recently they're actually kind of trending up a little bit, um, believe it or not. Yeah, I don't, get yeah. To, I don't get to drive around very much right now, but um, I, don't, I don't drive around very much. But before, I could remember uh, you'd drive down the street and you'd just see people with signs out, signs out, and you know, and the price just kept going down and down and down. Um, but I haven't like seen lately if it's like, you know, what people are advertising and. Well, you want to see real quick? That was sort of a. Uh... What I put together for today. Um, yeah. So, cool. Here, I'll just uh, show you real quick. Um, so, essentially, you know, so he, here is just uh, you know total sales in Oregon, and then here are actually. And actually, if you want to just find it directly online, uh, um, Oregon has an all right uh, data dashboard here. The problem is it's a little difficult to download data, um, but at least it's here. Um, so data. So. I'll actually push this to the uh, uh, to the GitHub here. Um, um, so I'll add, I'll push some some uh, links here to the you know to the Oregon sales data. Some of these prices open. So, and that's the other thing is I'm sort of recording some of these by hand, essentially. But over here, you know, you've got the the Oregon data, and so you've got you know the wholesale and retail.
and so here's what I was sort of referring to. So if you see, you know, like for concentrates at least, you know, you've got the price, you know, drop by, you know, almost 50%. And now it's sort of the concentrates hovering around $20 a gram, you know, with maybe a, you know, a slight uptick. You know, flour dropping from like $10 a gram, you know, down to about $5 a gram, but, or more actually like four and a half dollars. And then now it's sort of rising above to about five, five and a half dollars. Um, um, so one thing that I was going to, to introduce to you and then start calculating, you know, over this meetup and the next meetup was essentially inflation. And so, you know, that's a, an interesting economic variable. And I don't think people have really looked at it that much in the cannabis industry. I mean, I'm sure people have to, to a certain extent. Um, however, I don't hear too much talk about it. So, it, you know, it's worth at least calculating it once just to see what's going on. So, you know, essentially we'll be calculating, you know, the price today, you know, minus the price yesterday, divided by the price yesterday. I've realized the way that we want to do this properly is actually take a weighted average of price based off of the amount sold. So you'll want um, who was there a question or? Oh, inflation is interesting because that reminded me. I think I heard someone arguing that Bitcoin wasn't actually inflating necessarily if you took some metrics of inflation with respect to the dollar because the total amount of dollars in circulation was getting larger. Or actually just total amount of dollars available but then it's hard to calculate the US dollars because is it available or is it in circulation or where is it? Um, well, that's, no, a, that's a good question. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, you don't so, necessarily have a stable metric to compare this to. So just in itself of, you know, the Bitcoin series is probably inflating um, because you yeah, know yeah. the price today depending on how granular you want to measure price um maybe monthly or something um it depends on the the, the time span you're looking at um i think that would be an interesting thing to measure one thing i would just point out is i guess inflation is typically thought of as a like an aggregate of like all prices. So you'd be thinking of yeah, sort of a, a ma it's typically a macroeconomic variable. I don't see any reason why you yeah. couldn't apply it to a single single market. I think, um, you, I think you'd have to have something like a cost of li living index. And if that went up, that would be in 
I think that would actually be described as inflation by the legal definition, if I remember it correctly. Exactly. Because, so, yeah. so basically, um, yeah, what you're get you're getting on here is um, like like the the basket of goods that the the consumer has. So. Um, yeah. So if you go, you know, if you go up here, you'll see, you know, out of the total sales, you know, let's say, you know, let's say flour is, you know, 60 million out of, you know, 100 million. And then we'll just say concentrates is, you know, 40 out of 100. Um, out of a hundred million. Right. So what we're basically saying here is, you know, the consumer's basket, you know, you're basically saying, you know, your basket is, you know, 60% flour. And you know, forty percent concentrate. Sorry for the <laughs> the, the crude handwriting. So you've got sixty percent flour, forty percent concentrate in just a consumer's average basket. So the way you would then measure inflation of a you know a cannabis basket. So, you know, for a consumer of cannabis, how, what, you know, what's the inflation in their cannabis basket? Well, you know, that would basically be, you know, 60% times, you know, uh, you know, you know, 5.5. Sorry for the, you know, and then you would just add you know, the 40% of which they're spending, you know, 40% on concentrates. Um, and then the concentrates is, you know, about $20. So basically what you're saying, you know, is basically at time T, you know, your price is, you know, 0.4 to your price at time T is like five plus 0.6 times. Five. So, you know, so that, so that's essentially what your, your price at time T is. Um, and that, and this can be thought of as just a, a measure of like aggregate prices. And so then you kind of just see is, you know, do you would expect prices to be rising over time gradually? Um, you know, maybe uh, the economy as a whole, you know, I don't know what the inflation rate is off of the top of my head, but, you know, maybe like one to three percent or so. 
Um, so it would just be real interesting to see what the inflation rate is in the cannabis industry. And like I said, interesting. Um, it, and you could almost do like a, uh, like a time series analysis and, you know, you basically see like, uh, you know, is there like a difference? You like you could basically see like oh like was there some sort of you know struck what you know was there some sort of structural break in the market um, because it looks like things have kind of like stabilized and like I said they they may even be kind of trending up um, it's kind of hard to tell yeah well, I think um, a huge entry into the and that forced prices down. Um, we have the same problem. We have the same problem with Chinese restaurants in this area, where there was the dim sum wars. There really, was, <laughs> there were Chinese restaurants popping up like just you know like one right next to the, the other, and that forced prices down. And I saw the same thing with dispensaries, like they were just popping up everywhere. And so maybe you know at some point. Right, the market's going to be saturated, and you can't open up anymore. And you know, so but originally it caused prices to, to drop, and now I think it's probably stabilized. And especially with the pandemic, people are probably not opening up dispense a lot of dispensaries, so prices are probably starting to stabilize, and they probably will start to rise again. Exactly, and that's what you're, you know, you see, like. And that's why, why it'll be nice to like look at some statistics and like do some trends. But I mean, it does look to me that maybe, maybe starting in around June of 2019, things are, are gradual. I mean, prices are gradually trending up. Um, but for the most part, it looks pretty stable. Um, I mean, it looks compared to the prior two years. Uh, it's pretty stable. And, and in fact, that would actually be what economic theory would suggest is you, it would suggest that prices would, would for the most part, stabilize over time with a moderate amount of inflation. And just to kind of show you a bit more of the economic analysis that would essentially go into this. So during this same time, keep in mind that, you know, one would, ex economics would suggest that, you know, prices, even in the cannabis industry, would be affected by the interest rate. And essentially during this time, you know, <laughs> see, it's real interesting, right? So you see this graph, um, and you know things are kind of stable, but at the so it doesn't even really look like cannabis prices are even correlated. I mean, at first glance, with you know the federal interest rate, um, but once again, that's where we're going to use some statistics and see, you know, what. What may be the relationship? Are they even correlated? And if so, 
um, to what degree. Um, so long story short is the, uh, the Federal Reserve's kind of, uh, so the way that the, the Federal Reserve policy generally works is when the economy is expanding, they, they try to raise the interest rate as high as they really can. Um, however, as they, you know, raise the interest rate, it sort of puts the brakes on the uh, economy. And then whenever there's a recession, they basically drop the interest rate to try to stimulate growth. What's sort of a, a criticism, I think, is, of economists is they basically say that, you know, the Federal Reserve isn't really able to raise interest rates high enough prior to, to a recession. So, like, prior to a recession if they were able to get the you know the interest rates up to like four or five percent then you know when there actually is a recession there they can actually drop it sufficiently because here, here you see the recessions hit and they they've dropped it to zero but that's sort of the the problem is when you drop it to zero, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. Um, interesting. Well, that's that's essentially what they do. They they have to essentially use creative, or not really creative, but sort of technical monetary policy to 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 sort of simulate negative interest rates. Um, uh, so, so to a certain extent, you know, big banks during this time may actually be paying effective negative interest rates. Um, but it's, it's an indirect tool. Um, so that's, that's sort of the criticism is, you know, it would be nice if they could just do it directly, you know, and so they call it quantitative easing where they give the the banks sort of effective negative interest rates. But like there's like I said, there's criticisms that it doesn't actually act the same as just moving the interest rate down. So long story short is it would be ideal if they could just, you know, dip the interest rate down sufficiently, you know, without hitting zero. But you know, to do that, they would have to have gotten the interest rates up a little bit. So, yeah. so long story short, that's what's going on at the federal level. But, you know, here in the cannabis industry, we're going to see if this is even affecting prices or not. Um, because, in sales, because, so here's where I, here's sort of the economic theory, but behind what's going on is you're basically saying that output um, okay so you're basically saying you know output 
We'll do inflation is red. Inflation and you know the interest rate. So you're basically saying all of these are sort of related to each other. Um, Just sort of to color code this, just so you can kind of see. So basically, we've talked in um, the pre the previous weeks about essentially an auto regressive process. Um, so, like this, right, so that's just like an autoregressive process, um, where, you know, what output depends on, you know, output from the, the previous period. Here, we're doing a, a vector auto-regression. And so basically, we're just saying, we're just going to estimate these three equations simultaneously. So we're basically just going to say, um, yeah, so basically, you're just, we're just saying, okay, output today depends on output yesterday, inflation yesterday, and the interest rates yesterday. We'll, we will measure the coefficient on each of these. So we're not necessarily saying that output depends that much on interest rates, but we're going to find out. And similarly, you know, inflation depends on the amount produced. Um, as well as, of course, you know, inflation from the previous period. And then economic theory suggests it also depends on the interest rates. And then, and then this last um, equation is interesting because this is essentially leads us to, I wonder... So, that, so this is sort of similar. So this is, remember earlier we said the central bank, they set the interest function of the output gap and inflation. So basically, this is, you know, they call it like uh, the Taylor rule. Um, And this isn't exactly the Taylor rule. You actually have to, like I said, you'd actually have to do the output gap, which, which is what we're going to get to. So the output gap is what you would expect output E minus output actually is. And I'll... If you're wondering what you expect, we'll get to that in one second. Um, 
Well, actually, let's just go ahead and get to that right now. So the Federal Reserve, they want to set interest rates you know, based on what inflation they observe, their past interest rates, as well as what you know the total output in the market was. And ideally, they want to know what the output gap was, what expectations were versus what the actual were. Well, we can forecast with VAR models. So, although we're you know using some economic theory here, the statistical model is a theoretical. You can apply it to any data set. As you see here, we're going to be packing in a lot of variables into each model. Also, we're going to be estimating three equations. So we're doing three equations times, if you just do an A, and remember, and so these are, um, Right, so you're going to do like an AR, you know, X. So, you know, so you may do like an AR, right? So if you wanted to do an AR6, where you're going to have six parameters times three equations. So, you know, that's, you know, no less than, plus you're going to have the constants. So, you know, you're looking at like 21 plus degrees of freedom um, right there. So long story short is you're going to need a lot of data if you really want to estimate a high order autoregressive model. I'm kind of wondering if you can do this for all the products in the market. Like, uh, I imagine that'd be a huge model. Have to optimize it a lot, but so seems like it could. What I would do here is essentially, if you were doing that, you would basically what I would do is you do yt of i, um, and then hmm. where i would be. Um, uh, your type. Uh, I don't know. At the point where you're doing all the products, I wonder if you're capturing inflation and interest rate. Well, yeah. so, so essentially, Like I said, you like so say like I for example, let's say like I is flower. Um, let's say this is an element of like flower or concentrate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is getting a little messy. Let's just do this. Okay, so let's just say.
element of f tor. Okay. So, like I said, it just sort of dilutes the de definition of inflation. Um, I'm going to have to actually do a little research. So, my expertise is microeconomics. And so I was sort of reaching a little bit for the, so this is what you, this is sort of your, your standard macroeconomic model. Um, yeah. It would, uh, um, yeah, I'll have to do a little research because I think you could, so you, maybe you could just do output of flour and then just do inflation of flour prices. However, the way I would, just approach this uh, right out of the gate would basically you calculate a crude with no CPI, uh, a consumer price index. Um, and so that's basically uh, like a weighted average of all your prices. Um, so, um, um, wait, I so. So this is how essentially at the ticket, and then you have a weight for each good, and then you have a price for that good. So here we're doing we're saying. You're kind of breaking up. You know, Josh, if you yeah. turn off your camera, you can turn okay. the bandwidth works better. Uh, uh, so I'm going to actually sorry. put together a bit better. Say that one more time. Uh, you're breaking up a bit. Oh. So we, we have our basket is calculated. So basically, this is where we get our our weights from. Can you hear me? Yeah, if everybody turns yeah. off their camera, you come with, you come across much clearer. Oh, sorry. Um, I think it's just a, maybe a bandwidth thing. So maybe I can close some of these tabs. Um, okay. Can you, can you hear me okay? Yeah. 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 Okay. So just to sort of conclude um, with the, the explanation of this uh, inflation real quick, and I'll tidy up these notes for next week when we actually calculate this thing. So essentially, 
you have the sales by product type and you have the total sales. So we're, we're seeing that, okay, consumers are spending about 60% of their money on flour and 40% on concentrate. So you can say basically somebody's basket of goods is going to be 60% flour and 40% concentrate. So that's where you get the, the weights from. And then you have the actual prices. So you have the actual price of flour, P of I, and then you have the actual price of concentrate, P of I. So then you basic, so you then can calculate the CPI, which is basically, um, so this is the, you know, consumer price index. And you can think of it, um, you may have heard of like index funds and what an index fund is, is they basically take a weighted average of a hand, like a basket of stocks. And then you can invest in that basket of stocks through the index yeah. fund. So, exactly. So that, the, that's like sort of a basket of the top 500 um, largest companies, essentially. Um, and it may be weighted. Um, like I said, <laughs> I need to t touch up on some things like that, but, but exactly. So that's an example of an index. And so the consumer price index is just an index of prices. So the actual number is... like the nominal value is not that important so much as the direction. So what this, like the nominal value is, doesn't mean too much. What is important is inflation. And so that would basically be the CPI at time T Right, so basically this is the CPI at time T. So you would basically do the CPI at time T minus the CPI at time T minus one divided by the CPI at T minus one. And that's how you calculate inflation. And our hypothesis is that it would be you know one to three percent and my that's my hypothesis for this time frame so um that's my hypothesis um and next next week will we can next week we can actually use this data so I must have saved it in some weird place, but um, I, you know, 
I, I gathered the data from, you know, the Oregon state dashboard. And so next week, we can dive in and basically calculate the inflation rate. Then, sorry for this mess, then we'll actually estimate the VAR model, the VAR model, using using out output sales, inflation, which is a function of price. And our third variable will be the federal funds rate, which will be our proxy for the interest rate. And we're going to see how much interest rates affect output and prices in the, in the Oregon cannabis market. And the way we're going to see this through is we're going to essentially measure the output gap. So we're essentially going to use our VAR model from earlier and forecast output inflation and the interest rate into you know for the remainder of 2021 and perhaps into 2022 um so we know what we're forecasting we know the purpose of forecasting and so next week we will be finishing up and we will forecast using this VAR model. So, sorry that it was a little all over the place today. Um, it needs to be a little more structured. So, for next week, I'm going to structure the presentation a little better. And actually, we'll actually get to the data crunching next time. Um, I had a feeling the inflation was going to take just a little bit to just to kind of get, the, you know, just to explain what's going on there. Um, but you know, that, that's the crux of our analysis. And so next week we can actually calculate the, the inflation rate and forecast it forward for the cherry on top. But, but, do you have any quick questions or anything, Josh? Or? Uh, not off the top of my head. Right. Oh, thoughts or Charles or? Um, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a cool presentation. And uh, uh, be great to see next week when it kind of all comes together. And... Yes. And so I've started to put together some Python scripts just to calculate it. And like I said, there's a little bit more data to to assemble, but all the pieces are there. And I don't know of anyone who's done this analysis before, um, or at least I haven't seen it. If you've seen it, then send it my way because I'm interested in this. Um, but for next week, we can calculate it. Or if you're ambitious, check out the, the GitHub, the Canlytics Cannabis Data Science GitHub repository. 
and you know you could get a head start but essentially we're going to forecast this uh these series and we're going to be um, enlightened and we're, we're you know we'll be you know some of the you know leading experts on cannabis prices in oregon so it'll be pretty exciting okay. all right team yeah. Glad to have you aboard, Josh. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. You know, let us know your feedback, uh, what you liked, what what could be improved, and uh, we'll okay. take it from the top next week. I'm mostly working on sparse neural networks, by the way. So neural networks. Oh yeah, I'm trying to develop a new layer in PyTorch. So I'll be good at doing, I guess, sparse versions of huge data sets. So like that whole market thing I mentioned. But for now, I'm just going to work on this thing for the most well, part because I just want to get a little robot that can move around. Finally. We've got we've got huge data sets for you, so you may want to mm -hmm. get in touch with Charles because he is leading the, the front. Um, he's spearheading this one, so definitely reach out, get in touch, and that's exciting. PyTorch is uh, yeah. an awesome yeah. tool, so I want to... Uh, see your your contributions on that so that's awesome yeah if i can get some like i don't know about the scale of data where it's hard to fit on my computer but if i can get it streaming in some way then i might be able to work with that yeah are you going are you have you attended any of the gtc conferences this week i have not oh yeah that has been on my schedule gtc yeah they're there have been some good presentations on PyTorch. Um, there have been some really cool presentations on, you know, self-supervised learning and robots. And, um, oh, yeah. It's just, it's amazing. And it's free this year. So, um, and it's going on through Friday still. So, um, uh, that's where yeah. I'm spending all my, my whole, like, all my watching presentations this week. I'll probably add some of those to my schedule then. Oh, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yep. Deep learning for autonomous vehicles, accelerating CUDA. I don't want to use CUDA necessarily because I've got a ton of AMD GPUs. So. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, are they in PCs or Mac? Uh, PCs. But oh. there's a Vulkan compute repository that I'm trying to work with, but that's got to catch up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TensorFlow is going to start in, is going to start working on the Mac pretty soon, like the next version that comes out. But yeah, I don't know about like AMD stuff. Um, yeah. They're working with Metal before Vulkan. Yeah. That's surprising that's been like a two-year push doesn't seem like a good move to me to be honest i mean vulcan should be able to support all gpus and uh metal is just one very specific sector yeah i don't know i think apple pushed for it and um yeah there was I'll like plaid ml but i've never gotten that to work i'll just try to get vulcan working and then uh if that works well enough, the TensorFlow stuff would be obsolete because 
this would just work on so many more systems. Yeah. Question, Josh. Are you specifically trying to apply machine learning to the canvas industry, or are you just spearheading machine learning uh, just as is? Right now, just spearheading machine learning as is. And honestly, I'm kind of just going to all the different um, meetups I can find on AI to see what different people are working on. It, so it's so interesting. So my background was just in statistics and economics. And it seems like uh, I get the principle behind machine learning, like, you know, uh, I think of it more as just framing the right problem. Um, but I'm familiar with a lot of the tools because, you know, a lot of the tools used are essentially statistic models. So I know the models and how to, you know, estimate the models and use them. But actually framing the machine learning problem is something of an art, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. data wrangling, right? I think that... Like, I've looked at even biology and that sort of framing the problem thing is still a thing there. Like you have Fourier transforms in the ear, you have retinal ganglion cells that do crazy stuff in the eye. And like, as no matter how advanced you go, there seems to be data wrangling just everywhere. Then, I mean, I may have to get you in touch with, um, with a couple people, uh, uh, there's someone that comes to mind who's working on them, you know, a machine learning project. So may have to get you in touch with them. And then if you're interested, um, Canalytics is specifically trying to help laboratories and people with do cannabis analytics. And it's open source. So if you wanted to find a way to plug in some Machine learning uses. Uh, you're welcome to. You're welcome to use that as your your host. That'd be cool. Yeah, the main thing I'm working on right now should just be able to do a bit more data. It's not really the data wrangling part, but yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, you may have to shoot me whatever you work on in PyTorch because. Like I said, that's a tool that I've heard of, and I wanted to add it to my toolbox, but it's not in my toolbox yet. So always happy to learn. It's pretty close to TensorFlow. Same thing with TensorFlow. I would almost, I like almost got it into my toolbox, but it's still not in my toolbox yet. So I would like to add them both um, before long. Okay. But, but so perhaps one week, uh, one of you, uh, Charles or Josh, you're, you're welcome to present um, at the meetup if you want about TensorFlow or PyTorch or, or you know some sort of machine learning application or tool. So you're you're welcome to um, because, like I said, I'm actually eager to to learn about those topics. Certainly, when I get the games. I think Gaskell will be a huge help to everybody. Um, but, you know, it's um, just a lot of experimenting and, um, and you know, and finding and figuring out how to configure it right 
is I did the Well, why don't you take some notes, Charles, and then when you get it up and running, why don't you um, let me know and you can host uh, a meetup. And then you could show us about to ask and you could save us all a bunch of time by telling us all the, the tips and tricks for getting your configuration just right. I will. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also curious about Dask versus Pandas. Dask versus Pandas? Yeah, is it different data scale or? So Dask is basically, it works, it, it, it's basically a drop-in replacement for Pandas, but instead of like reading everything in at once, it delays the computation. And so like when you read a file, it's like instantaneous. But then when you like, you know, if you want to look at the head of the, of the file, it will, or the, or the data frame, it will, it'll take time, it'll compute it. Um, but it also works in parallel. It'll do it off, it'll do a lot of work across multiple threads where Pandas is single thread. So it's optimized Pandas. Yes. And that, it's like almost like the right tool for the right job. So it's, I think that's, it sounds to me like the perfect tool for so basically on the very first meetups, we started to try to get into this Washington state data. So Dask is sort of the, it sounds like the tool for that job. Uh, yeah. And then if you have multiple machines, it distributes. It'll use the memory on, on, on it'll, it'll, it'll use the memory across multiple machines to distribute. So, um, could potentially use it in production to do some interesting things. Yeah. Um, but you can use the same code on a laptop as you can across a cluster. So it just it automatically scales for you. Or at least that's what they claim. I think, I think I'm going to go ahead and head on out uh, myself, but it's been, been awesome talking with you guys about data science. As always, it's awesome to you know find like-minded people to, to talk about uh, data, machine learning, what have you. So it's just fun. Yeah, this has been a great meetup. Definitely. Yeah, all right, all right, guys. I'm going to go ahead and head on out. I've uh, got the full agenda today of uh, things to accomplish. But for next week, we can talk more machine learning. I'll have a tidier uh, little demonstration of how to do inflation. And we can uh, take it from the top. Okay, great. See you next week. Right. Yeah, have an awesome week. Right. Bye now. Bye. Bye.